Hey, Hoy. Hey, Jeff. Am I coming through okay? Yeah, I can hear you just fine. Great. Afternoon. Hello, everybody. Hey, Tom, Dan, and Adam. Hello. Hello. Owen Roberts joined us. And, and Oliver. Oliver connects. We've Hello. I just came off a live stream. I, uh, yep. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of talking today. What else is new with me? Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. And also, this is going to be another one of the patron book clubs that we're going to go ahead and release to the mainstream. So those of you out there in podcast land listening, um, our patrons are able to join us for our patron book clubs beforehand. So if you want to give us as little as $1, you're able to join us for these exciting conversations. Um, but anyway, so here we are today to discuss, um, actually, Hoy, why don't you, I can, I always botch up the name. Why don't you go ahead and say it for me? Uh, of the book. All right. Today it's Hard to Be a God by the Strugatsky brothers, Arkady and Boris. And then Dan, maybe you can tell me if I completely mispronounced their names. Well, you can say Arkady and Boris, but Baris. you did absolutely perfectly. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So. Perfect. So let's start with which editions of the book we're working with. What you got, Oliver? Uh, I have the Chicago Re- Review Press uh, trade, which has a good afterword uh, by, I believe, Boris. Oh, there you go. You got it. And I'm pretty sure the cover art is from the 2013 uh, Russian film adaptation, but I could be right. wrong. Yeah, that's the uh, Alexei German film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the same one I'm working with. How about you, Robert? Same. Mm. Preferred translation, I assume, since the other one was uh, translated from German after being translated from Russian. Yes. Mm. Yep. <laughs> Adam? Sci fi masterworks. It's got a bloody dagger going through a map and then a laser gun on the table, too. Nice. Cool. Cool. Do you know if it's the uh, lightning gun? Do you know if it's uh, (laughs) translated by what's her name? Is it Olga? uh, It's uh, I've got the same one. Olena. Yeah, Olena Bormashenko, who um, who, who grew up in Canada. Um, Ah. I think she she moved from the Soviet Union when she was 11. Mm -hmm. And there's a maths professor. And did mm-hmm. this as a as a kind of passion project. She also did roadside picnic as well. Cool. And I assume that she's of Ukrainian origin by uh, yes. sharing her name. Yeah, yeah. And Tom, what are you working with? I have the original Russian edition. No, I'm kidding. I have the. the <laughs> I I did not read it in Russian, but <laughs> I was looking at the the. Um, Internet speculative fiction database um, listings for the books. And apparently the first version of the book, which was printed in Russia and paperback, I, I, I opened it up and I looked at the cover and it's this like weird blurry photo of like, um, of like little toy soldiers that are out of focus. It's a really terrible cover. <laughs> and uh, Hoy, did you tell us what you're working with? I am reading the ebook of the same Chicago press uh, review press version. Yeah. Gotcha. And how about Hygaxian nominations? Uh, I've got one, but I'd like to hear what you guys have. Yeah, I've I, I got one, um, yeah, go. which is um, Saiva, which is an invented word, but um, but evokes taiga. So, um, so taiga, the kind of um, uh, subarctic forest. And uh, I think Saiva, meaning kind of tropical rainforest or tropical forest of some, some kind, is not sp- exactly defined but it sort of makes sense in the context right marshy yeah marshy mosquito yeah 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 exactly exactly yeah. yeah thank you for that my partner's russian i was like what is this and she's like i don't know well, yeah, I, I had the same conversation with mine and and, <laughs> and, we, and we kind of worked out that, that, that it was a cleverly made up word <laughs> amazing any other nominees uh i'll throw in i don't know how to pronounce it so i'll say anisotropic yeah uh which is from the framing device epilogue and the for uh prologue the what kind of means uh uh, something has different properties depending on which way you uh measure it or uh use it uh according to its orientation so the example i read in the dictionary was like a piece of wood a wood grain is stronger if it's laid in one direction or pressured in one direction than another that's the very good one yeah yeah 
both of my nominations were words that when they were used, were used again and again and again on on multiple pages. It was that word. And then the other one was imp, um, impecunious. Mm-hmm. I kept talking about the impecunious dons, which just means basically broke. Yeah. Um, but it was interesting that the two words that I thought would be good choices ended up just repeating themselves again and again right. and again within like a, like with both of them, like within a three page period, there's like, it's used like eight or nine times. Right. I suspect that uh, she was deliberately translating that way because it's not an adjective. It's actually an epithet. It's the impecunious dons. That's who they are rather than they're dons who happen to be poor. Right. You know, right. It's, it's, a, you know, in the, in sort of the classical sense of an epithet. So the impecunious dons. And what was your second word there, Jeff? Sorry, but the, the other one was um um Anna, Anna. yeah. But but I'm curious with the impecunious dons because it wasn't capitalized. And wouldn't that normally wouldn't the I and the D be capitalized normally if it was properly being used that way? Um, I suppose you could, but again, uh, I think that might be a choice and might have stood out too much, you know, in the text as making them a, sort of like as equivalent of the holy order or you know the gray shirts or something like that. You know. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I got one. Uh, Arbalest, a late variation of the crossbow coming into use in Europe during the 12th century. And a lot of the pictures, they have like those little crank wheels to to turn the, the tension. Mm-hmm. Nice. Those three words encompass the full list that I had. You know, there, <laughs> it was kind of slim pickings. Uh, I looked in the 1E books to see if Arbalist was anywhere on a weapon list or something like that. Just curious it wasn't. It felt like something that would definitely be on that list. Um, And then I also thought, well, if I were reading this in the original Russian, were there some cool words that would have qualified? But when you're translating, you're translating for readability uh, that may have uh, been lost. But Yeah, um, I believe this is our first book that's a translation that we're covering for this project. Is that correct? I think so. I'd have to look, but I'm pretty sure it's the first one. Yeah. Um, the word I would pick, um, all those all those were good, and impecunious was definitely one that was on my list, is uh, metropole, um, because it actually has a very specific meaning. It doesn't just mean metropolis, uh, because when you're talking about colonialism, that means the colonial cent- the center Right. So France was the metropole of, you know, when Vietnam in relation to Vietnam or Algeria, right. Or, you know, Great Britain would be the metropole in relation to the whole British empire of the Victorian era. So, um, there's that implication, which is interesting because theoretically the society that Don Rumada exists in is a perfect, a perfected space communism. Right. Um, but he's still sort of referring to this thing as a metropole, possibly. Because that's the only thing that these people can understand on this planet, you know, Arcanar. So nice. So now we yeah. can go and head on over to the library. Uh, Robert, what are your initial thoughts about Hard to Be a God? Uh, I enjoyed it. I I liked the sense of humor. There was definitely a, a kind of sly or dark sense of humor that seemed Russian to me for somehow from. Uh, whatever I know of Russian sensibilities, uh, I guess mostly through uh, film and books. And uh, I I was, as usual with myself, I was a little confused with the transition from the opening prologue chapter to the uh, actual planet that are, they're on. But I, I'm starting to think that's a me problem and not necessarily the book. So... Uh, because I have several books we've read uh, have had a similar type of issue for me. So, uh, but overall, lots of fun and uh, very deep, uh, kind of soulful story. Nice. What do you think? Uh, what do you think, Dan? So, I really enjoyed it, especially, I guess, as a, a sort of science fiction book of ideas rather than. Um, the, you know, the, the adventure itself. And also just what a dangerous book it was that, you know, coming out, um, you know, I mean, albeit in the post Stalin Thor, but, you know, at a time when, you know, it, it was definitely a really kind of capricious and dangerous bureaucracy. Um, and, and the games that they're playing, because there's so much that is clearly about Stalin and re- reading the afterwards, um, and I'm saying that Don Raber, 
you know, it was originally Don Rebia, which was a, an anagram of Beria, the um, Stalin's secret policeman and uh, you know head of the what you know what became the KGB. I mean, it's it's astonishing, mm-hmm. um, and and it, it it seemed to to follow we by Yevgeny Zamyatin, and I'd be really interested if 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 they read Brave New World because I know that. Um, the, the the older Zamyatin spoke Japanese and English, so he he may well have read Brave New World. But it's a it's a really interesting kind of mirror image of that with a with, with a utopia rather than a dystopia, and then you know what's actually going on in the story being in the medieval world. But it's really fascinating, and I can bore you to death with all the Russian links at some point. <laughs> Oliver, Oliver, what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I mean, this was a reread for me. Uh, I read it maybe seven years ago. I was happy to come back to it. The ending was far less bloody than I remember, or at least far more off camera. Uh, so that was something. But yeah, overall, I still really enjoy it. And I enjoy the uh, the tension between how it sort of started as more of a Dumas Three Musketeers riff, and then they got into the heavier ideas. And, you know, there's a lot of both still there in this final version that we're reading. Uh, you know, the fact that for one chapter it can be like, uh, you know, hit Ramada and his friend whose name I'm going to mess up, sorry, but the Baron who's very boisterous and pulls out his greatsword and wants to fight the whole bar. You know, you have scenes like that. And then the next scene, it's like, oh, the humanity, you know, how do we how do we change human, you know, humans to make them more good people? Uh, there's, there's, I like I like that it's got both and it makes it work. You know, it's got it's got fun and big ideas. Adam? Uh, I thought I liked it. Uh, um <clears throat> kind of like similar to what Dan was saying, like the real paranoia. I mean, Dan knows, I'm so glad Dan is with us today because he knows more about this than, than me, but the total like paranoia of the society and like all the, the, the backstabbing and turning people in and purging the intellectuals, really paranoid vibe. And, you know, also like, this is also a definitely a Star Trek episode you know, how many freaking Star Treks are there where they're they're down on the primitive planet and they can't reveal themselves because of the prime directive? And it's just like kept thinking of that the whole time I was reading it. So it's, it's interesting, man. It's neat. Tom? Well, uh, <clears throat> I thought prime directive a lot as well. Um, but go- going back to what, what Dan had said, um, this is definitely a book where I think the more that you understand about the context in which it was written and uh, the, the greater world sort of around the fiction uh, is helpful. Uh, so I'm kind of looking forward to looking more of that at that later on. Uh, having read other uh, Russian novelists over the years, it did follow a pattern of being heavily coded and really talking about real life things throughout. Uh, bringing a big monologue or philosophical uh, conversation in the third act is a very Russian thing in my limited experience as well. And uh, kind of like in Notes from the Underground, after a really long rant, he goes, eh, what are you going to do? People kind of suck. And that's like sort of uh, the end of the book. You know, um, I enjoyed it most when we were in the character scenes. Like I, I, I kind of soldiered through the first bit of it, trying to understand the world building and what the rules were. But when he met with Kira in his house and they had a character scene, that's when I I really felt myself kind of like lock into the book. And um, there is an awful lot of exposition and a lot of off-camera stuff that I would have liked to have seen actually in the book, um, which uh, I felt was... um, you know, a, a little less than satisfying, but overall, uh, I was very happy to have read it. Nice for me. Um, I overall, I did enjoy it. Um, I guess technically, this is Sword and Planet. Uh, we have swords and we're planet hopping, but it doesn't feel very Sword and Planet. But when it comes to the kind of fiction that I really enjoy reading as a part of this project, usually it's my favorite ones are either smart or are smart and fun. And either campy or dark. And this one's smart and it's dark, but it did, wasn't really fun for me. I didn't enjoy reading this book. I thought it was really interesting. I thought there was some really cool stuff that was happening. Um, a lot of great, really interesting questions that were being asked. I thought there was some really cool world building stuff happening, but I didn't really 
enjoy it necessarily. I didn't feel like I was like strapped in for a really fun adventure, nor were the ideas being presented things that were like really blowing my mind in any kind of a particularly interesting way. But um, I still think it's really interesting. And I'm really excited to learn from Dan Oliver and Tom and probably Hoy as well, kind of the cultural context in which these things were happening to help me better understand where this book's coming from, because I I certainly don't know any of that stuff. And I'm not implying that um, Adam and Robert don't know those things, but it sounds like the way Adam and Robert are talking, they're probably more in my camp than Tom, Dan, and Oliver, but um, we'll see. Hoy, what are your initial thoughts? Um, yeah, it's interesting. I think probably literarily it's not a masterpiece, but for various reasons at this point in my life, it has such important resonance that it is going to be one of my most uh, memorable books. Um, and I don't know anywhere near as much about Russia as probably Oliver or, or Dan do, but anyone who's ever been in a, uh, well, I mean, it also has a lot of resonance even to the United States at the moment, but anyone who's ever been in a paranoid um, society uh, whether it's communist or authoritarian society, people have, having to talk in coded ways, um, people making sorts of all sorts of accommodations. Um, I've heard many, many people of my fathers and grandfathers' generations that I met over the years who have talked in that way, who have that sort of uh, that dark humor. Uh, so it is in some aspects uniquely Russian, but it's also in some aspects of just living in an author authoritarian, paranoid society. Um, the uh, and I think Oliver, you were uh, alluding to this because I know if you've seen the film. So the film is utterly humorless. It is, <laughs> you know, the, the Alexei Guriman film, right? It is just literally mud, fog, and shit. But it's still fascinating for its own reasons. Uh, whereas there is a lot of humor in this book, but it is humor that you kind of had to have touched upon in your life to actually see it, I think, right? So again, having been in. And so maybe for Americans in two years, they'll be like, oh, yeah, I totally get this book now. Right. <laughs> right? I hope not. I hope you never get this book. <laughs> right? um, so there was a little bit of that. And then in particular, they use the word intelligentsia, but I don't even think it's intelligentsia, but just having any sensitivity of soul or consciousness uh, in, in a society like that, you will relate to you know, uh, Don Rumada and, and to, uh, you know, the people who are just, you know, even the, the, uh, what's the name of the Arada, Arada, the handsome, right. Um, six people who are out of time and out of place and are going to get crushed because they're just not in the right time and place, you know? Uh, so yes. So I, I think it's tremendous work, but again, partially for my own reasons, not for like literally the text. So so for those of you who are more versed in the cultural context in which this is coming out, um, do any of you want to speak to that some for the group? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think the first thing to say is that um, although the, the, the brothers are kind of, there's eight years between them, they, they were both present for the siege of Leningrad and went through all those horrors. Um, and Something which, to be honest, until I was doing my research for this, I didn't. Re I had never heard of the Leningrad affair, but in in 1949-50, um, Stalin's paranoia and, and his his sort of coterie led them to um, to their, their sort of envy of the sort of heroism of of Leningrad and its leadership um, led them to arrest all of the senior political figures and also like 2000 just scientists and university people and so on and quick pause just for the yeah. listening this book came out in 1964 just if you're trying yeah. to figure out how that relates to the timeline he's talking about um so 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 so, th so, so this happened when you know the Arkady, the older brother was in his mid-20s and and this clearly had a massive impact on them and then in 1952 you have the doctor's plot where um, and 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 both of I mean the the Leningrad affair and and the, just the general kind of great terror knocks on the door you see massively reflected in the book, but the Doctor's plot is is specifically referenced um, with with the Doctor who's um, who, who is allegedly um, poisoning the king, um, and um, and I think the final thing to say is that although Stalin died sort of ten years before publication um and so it, it, 
that 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 period had um you know, you know there'd been a massive political change and they'd gone through de-stalinization there were still huge numbers of people in in, in prison camps and you know it was still um you know if you stepped out of line you lost all your privileges oliver do you want to add or comment on any of this I mean, I'm not sure I can add. I think Dan's done his homework and it uh, all adds up pretty well to me. <laughs> I'll just put a big Reddit thumbs up to it. Perfect. So having heard any of the stuff that Dan says, does anybody have any kind of particular comments to that? Or does this kind of change how they're viewing this text? I mean, I get to go ahead, Rob. Uh, I was just going to say, I think uh, everything Dan said sounds right on to me. I also was thinking, yeah, this... Same kind of thing happened in uh, China, too. And uh, even uh, sometimes in China today, uh, people will disappear. Uh, or in Iran, for instance, uh, the the rock climber in the news uh, this past week who didn't wear her uh, headdress she was supposed to be wearing. And when she competed, and uh, supposedly she, uh, she says she just forgot. but. Uh, Maybe it was a protest, and now she seems to be. Who knows what will happen to her now that she's back in her country? So uh, that's exactly what I had made notes of: the purges and the uh, the uh, necessity to conform or or be erased. You know, right. and I mean, certainly, it just has the the current climate of utter anti-intellectualism, know nothing is this in. The United States and possibly Canada as well. It seems like Canada is not immune and large. Oh, as always, of, we have a dollar store version of what you guys are up to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, Western Europe as well, and I mean, obviously, uh, at the time of the Khmer Rouge purges, again, very similar. Anyone who resembled an intellectual, you know, done, gone. Um, so there's always that climate, and it's always, and it's important that Ramada points out it's always the mediocrities, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, who are formed the the? It's not exceptionally evil people. It's the mediocrities who form the bulk of this evil. <laughs> right? Yeah, you know, I mean that's sorry. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say I really agree. I mean, one of my favorite things about the story is that Don Reba is just a guy. <laughs> like he's just a guy. You keep looking for the supervillain of him, and like he's definitely a bit cunning, and he kind of knows how to navigate the political scene, obviously. But he also, but near the end of it, it's made really clear like he's going to get eaten up too. You know, he's not special. And then I look to people who I won't name because that'll make this real capital P political. But I look to the people I see in Canadian politics who might be facilitators of such a thing if certain you know courses of history happen in the next few years. I don't see supervillains. I, I just see the mediocre, exactly. It just tends to be people who don't have a lot going on between their ears, but just enough to let them to you know pull pull certain levers and make certain things happen. And we, we underestimate them. You know, remember, think about how much we were all laughing at certain political figures who caused a lot of trouble in the past, you know, five, six, seven years when they were running for power in various Western nations and going, oh, well, they're idiots. They'll never get anywhere. They're not very remarkable. And then voila, yeah. you know, they, they won the presidency. They won various other parties. Yeah. You know, yeah. Anyway. And Tom, it looked like you were wanting to say something. Yeah. I'd just like to add to it is, is certainly sort of um, what we see culturally today is the popularity of anti-intellectualism. Anti-science things like that, but also these authors lived in a time where they literally took, you know, college professors and learned people out in the streets and shot them. Mm -hmm. You know, after the revolution, the first thing you do is get rid of the thinkers, so that gives you so much uh, better control over people when you can, you know, can totally control the narrative, and and and. A lot of what this book is about, to me, thematically, is is control. Uh, you know, uh, the control of governments or monarchies, revolutions, these sorts of things. And then, paradoxically, we have a protagonist who is not allowed to control anything. He's there as an observer, which doesn't really seem all that productive. And eventually, he does reach his, his sort of breaking point. Um, and to sort of put a little extra button on that, the fact that they are perfect communists from future Earth seems almost like a protective sort of coding on the authors, you know, in terms of how they the, the, the book might be criticized later is they can always say, well, you know, our future perfect Earth is communist. 
comrades. So this is all what happens when we're not perfect communists. Right. Yeah, kind Which of like the Hayes Code, where like fun. you can put the most horrible depravity and criminal acts as long as they get punished by the end. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but of course, the irony that the Strugatskis are pointing out is that the theory is flawed because somehow in Arkanar, they've bypassed, you know, <laughs> Uh, capitalist industrialism and gone straight to fascism from feudalism right so the theory is flawed right and they're talking about the theory is, is perfect right and even they're debating a couple times with uh you know the other observers you know we have to let this play out you know <laughs> um and so, uh, I, 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 absolutely and it's worth saying that russia did exactly that that it went from absolute monarchism to to, to socialism without going through the, the capitalist phase Right, right. And then, you know, China's doing it in reverse and now it's doing <laughs> capitalism. And, and well, now it's probably going back to imperialism, but, you know, <laughs> um, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, 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 well, you know, living in interesting times as always. So <laughs> I also thought and it was I, interesting the moment with the blacksmith where he is talking about how he doesn't want to get involved because that's going to keep him safe. And then our protagonist is like, well, actually, it's the people who don't get involved who are usually slaughtered first. And I just, I also thought that was a kind of an interesting take on mm. an interesting take in the story as well. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, about the, the, the 10,000 hammers, if they just had 10,000 people with hammers, you know, they would be unstoppable. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Go on, Oliver. You were saying. Sorry. I was going to say, I, yeah, well, I, mean, I like what Jeff just mentioned. Because I, and it's also how we tend to get denied easy answers in this book. The fact that um, Ramana very early in the book is like, addressing what the reader's probably thinking by saying, yeah, we, we've had people occasionally go nuts and be like, oh, what if we just machine gun all the bad guys in the society and, you know, use our advanced technology to force a better society and it never works, uh, you know, and then that's the temptation he's fighting for the whole rest of the novel, isn't it, you know? Uh, yeah, I, I like I like that just right away, it's like, no, 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 power fantasies will not be found in this novel and they will not save you in life or in literature. Um, can Dan, do you, or anyone else know uh, what if anything ever happened to these brothers, because this is very thinly veiled critique of the current, uh, you know, late fifties, early sixties, Soviet type of, uh, environment. And I guess they, they say something in the epilogue about how well it, that we didn't think this book would actually get through the censors, but it did to our surprise. And, but did anyone ever really catch on and make them pay a price? As far as I know, no. I mean, they were kind of the, the Russian Stephen King. They were wildly popular. Um, I think they were perceived by the authorities as, as genre authors, and and their readers understood exactly what they were saying, and it was it was tolerated, and they were fine. Right. That is some genius to be able to write in basically a trash trash medium, a trash idiom. And, and just be able to do that, right? Because if they were trying, if they were doing this as a serious literature, quote unquote, serious literature, I'm sure they would have been off to Siberia before you could blink an eye. You know? Yeah, in that respect, it makes me think of Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse Five. Not that he was operating under anywhere near as uh, harsh a government, but by using you know the trash bin of science fiction to say some pretty hard things about war uh, and about the American rah 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 World War Two. Yeah. yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, there's also pretty clear parallels between this work and like the works of like Orwell. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I definitely now I'm interested to see like the greater context of. I mean, their most famous book is Roadside Picnic, right? But I would like to read more of the, the this new universe, this the space communist universe, and see if similar similar themes play out. Uh, it's obviously they were becoming disillusioned with the Soviet system as it existed at that point. But they were still working within it for another 25 years right um and you know what things i mean like just from the wikipedia entry it seems like they sort of started moving towards techno utopianism but they still also might have had the idea of it being sort of a very uh masculine principle whereas a lot of sort of the feminine principles would be associated with negativity but again i don't know i have to read the rest of their books to see if that's the case uh certainly we have very interesting contrast between kira and donna donya okana um in this book um but again it's through Ramada's eyes right so they're not given as much agency as one might hope to to understand what's going on with them you know so um yeah i know it's a very masculine book. Yeah, yeah, yeah without <laughs> a doubt. Know, I, 
I was had highlighted a few scenes that had really kind of uh, been interesting to me in the whole uh, piece where Rumada uh, goes off with uh, Doña Akana for a minute, and then he reacts to being with her like he is with an animal or something like that. Like there's this level of revulsion, and I thought, wow, that's really that's a really strong reaction. I don't know yeah. how that. Yeah. plays with modern eyes right it did remind me of the first couple chapters of uh perfume though because when you talk about how like the stench of the 18th century uh dan's nodding his head and oliver smiled there too so yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. well ha hats off to you who made it all the way through the film um i gave it a go but after a while i was just like i just don't know if i need to look at this this kind of imagery anymore but um it was definitely in the book in that same scene he describes the bedroom as smelling of bed bugs and i thought wow yeah yeah it's pretty That's rough a lot yeah, yeah i must admit the sorry go on Jeff. no you go ahead i'm just gonna say yeah i mean it's certainly not a book with a, a lot of great and varied female representation I think Romana's disgust there was probably more to do with the fact that she's a member of the society you can't elevate, and she's a member of one of the worst pla pla you know, planes of it, right? Plus, just the raw smell and everything else we're discussing. I, you know, I, I don't know how you would have worked it in there, but the, what, there was like one woman in the bookends who sounded competent and interesting and fully capable as the boys, but we don't get to know her well, right? So we just have this kind of Madonna horror situation between Daniel Kanya and uh, Kira, and uh, not much else to work with with the women in this. Yeah. Yeah. So moving this over to a gaming side of the conversation, the setting feels very grimdark, very um, Song of Ice and Fire, you know, lots of rape and torture, and um, we will burn down entire villages for the sake of a political move. Um, and I guess I'm just kind of curious how you guys feel about kind of these grimdark settings as a place for fantasy role-playing and how you can kind of use them um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm curious what you guys think about that as a starting point for a conversation. I think if I were to try and run this, I would definitely try to give the players some break and give me some kind of rhythm by bouncing back and forth between the grimdark world, uh, that, you know, that my party of Ramadas would be trying to navigate and occasionally then going back like in the movie it shows uh a bunch of the communist agents getting drunk together and just you know driving a tank around for a laugh basically in one of the areas where they know what they won't be spotted and i think you would need some total variation to be able to tolerate being so like hip deep in something that's like people are bad check it out uh as the main setting that's that so to me like in terms of just tone i would i would think very hard on leaning between that and the sword and planet of it all uh because it, the, yeah I, I agree with you jeff I think it's a weird sword and planet but it's definitely a sword and planet novel as far as i'm concerned mm. um in which case there you know get, let's get some like mcc artifact checks in for when one of the locals get a hold of uh, one of your lightning guns or whatever i mean you can have some levity brought in accidentally through that perhaps <laughs> uh, and i think that would be a good way to use the, the, the larger settings uh, to my point sorry anyway I mean, I think right here, because it's so focused on, I don't even remember if Arkanar is the name of the city or the kingdom as a whole or both, um, but we have all this stuff happening off screen. So you could bring it down to like trying to sneak the doctor out of the kingdom, um, seeing what's happening with Don Palma's, you know, in so-called independent region or Arada's bandit gang and his various revolutions. It would still be on the sort of dark side, but it's more openly adventurous than what is happening there in the capital. Um, but then you have that room for that sort of political intrigue to play out um i think this is actually almost a perfect dnd though because don rumada is clearly like an 11th level fighter that's how he's just able to like you know deal with all these like you know zero level or one level you know great you know gray thugs trying to like you know bop him with axes right <laughs> right you know um so it felt dnd actually to me surprisingly you know how about you Did you guys run it Sorry. Did this feel, did this feel D, D to you adam not especially now yeah. No, it, it seemed, uh, I don't know. <clears throat> I like the, I like the super science, you know, of course, that's, that's always up my alley and everything. And, uh, just having like the, they had like a matter replicator, you know, that would be pretty cool, uh, to have in your camp, have it like on two levels, you know, and like the alcohol blocker pills that he takes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's like, that's a pretty cool thing to have, you know, it's kind of like taking the place of magic items. So that's what, that's what I liked about it for gaming, but I didn't find it particularly D and D it felt, I don't know, more Star Trek, I would say. Yeah. 
Those alcohol blockers would be very fun in Linkmar, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking of the, the carousing table. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I should say by DD, I don't mean like very codified DD. I'm just saying that mechanically, like it could be literally white box DD or, you know, that that's what I mean. Um, but anyway. Would y'all run it more domain level or more personal level if you tried to run a campaign here? You know, would you be more like, okay, well, you guys get orders from the bosses from space communism land to try and get one guy out or do this or that? Or would you have more like, well, they are trying to affect the whole society, right? Well, how much would how much would you try and get into your own take on the social theory and like, okay, try and uh, save some artists here so we can advance society X points in this direction or whatever? Like how big picture, small picture would y'all take it? I, I've never run a group that would want to do that or be truly good at doing something that high level. Um, uh, I, for me, the, I guess the more personal level is the idea of espionage and behind the scenes conversations and playing personalities is something that, you know, some groups everyone would do very well. So I would probably lean more into that. Yeah, I, I like the spy aspect, undercover aspect as a as a mission because otherwise I have a feeling that uh, the the people that I've played with and probably even myself we would try to take over the whole planet, you know, sort of like a, a Star Trek episode gone wrong, like that yeah. one where they go to the Nazi planet and the the former Federation agent has become the dear leader. Yeah. There, you know, huh? I'm forgetting uh, what that one is called. Yeah. Uh, Patterns of Force, I think, yeah. is that that episode. Yeah. So, uh, but I do, I do like the idea, like a, a general concept of a sort of uh, you're a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's court sort of type of uh, vibe, where you you set up your uh, player characters in the beginning as from the future or the present. And then you go back to the past with a specific mission and you'd be undercover, I suppose, right. but with with technological uh, advantages uh, to sub in for the magic, as Adam said. So right. like I that. Mean, it, it's funny because they literally talk about your what your player your players sound like because they had talk about the sprinters in here right the people who actually oh he took over and had this rebellion and tried to put all these lords to the you know to the news or whatever and then of course the forces of history you know negated what they were trying to do um so i think there's room for it at at the level of people the characters first being introduced as these observers and then letting them have that choice of whether to proceed maybe you could do like two experience tracks one that lets them go to the sprinter level and one that leads them to rise like Don Rumada, you know, whether it's experience or, or other, you know, um, reputation tracks to let so that people could choose which way they want to go in within the within this setting. It looks like Dan has something to say. Yeah. I was just going to say that, that I mean, they, they talk about the Tafnat Rebellion, where this guy creates a, a golden age and then is exfiltrated and stuck on a submarine to the South Pole. So, Robert, <laughs> if you go too far... <laughs> <laughs> right, that's what's going to happen. But, but I mean, I, I, mean, I agree with everyone that that it's th this this notion of having a, a kind of non-lethal RPG where you're not allowed to kill anyone it, it, is going to be unfamiliar to most players. Most players, and but but there are some really interesting angles. But at least you can go to the Hiccup Forest where there's a whole bestiary of stuff going on. So you know, there's 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 still at least something to do there. Right, and, right. You the know, spiders. Of, yeah, exactly. More of Y or more E or whatever it's called. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and also yeah. that the entire mission is to observe and to not interfere. That seems like a real kind of counter to D D kind of mission to have but of course i mean i imagine you'd be going to a game like that knowing that your characters are not going to follow that mission and <laughs> i guess it would be your work to constantly tempt them to step away from that mission um yeah but so uh, and maybe this is something i miss in the reading but why why are they just there to observe did i miss the why i think they're hypothesis testing I think they're being proper scientists, and they're, they're they're testing their historical theory, just as a you know a physicist would would test things, um, and that and that's why they don't want to mess with the experiments. And are these people that we've placed on this planet and we've watched them grow, or are they just kind of a 
species like us that have also grown on this planet that we're just kind of showing up and checking out. Right. Wasn't it kind uh, of like the, sorry, wasn't it kind of like the Warhammer 40k Imperium of Man where humanity before you got the, the extant present of the universe just went blurring all over the universe, but then, you know, the guiding light of uh, the central uh, authority kind of receded a bit. And so you have all these human worlds where people have like kind of slid back into like medieval periods away from the future and have had enough time pass where they don't really remember their, their previous sci-fi present. And so I think isn't it the case we're here where like you know, this world was colonized and the great expansion of man, but then like luxury space communism became the, the deal uh, afterward and is now trying to like find a way to bring them back in eventually right. uh, by, you know, right. was, it, was it a purely scientific experiment? I thought there was some element of nudging things. It's just the right. idea was to do it very gently as right. opposed to the sprinters. Um, I think there's two things. I think you're you're there. Um, it's not. I think in your your interpretation, Oliver. I don't think is internal to the text, but it is maybe internal to the new universe from what I'm reading about it, which is that um, at some point he, there's these other elevated space race that might have seeded humanity. So it wasn't humanity colonized, but might have seeded humanity throughout all these planets, and so just that our Earth happened to develop faster, and so we, oh. uh, you know, and, and was able to reach out into the universe. Um, and I think it's not purely, um, I, th I think Dan is correct that it is observational, but it's also because literally they do believe this theory of history, that that perfect communist theory of history is perfect, right? And, it, and it's up to them to actually observe and say, oh no, it's not, or Don Ramada saying, no, it's not, because you see this, we just got to fascism without any of this other stuff in between, right? Um, and so that they, and, you know, again, he has that long discussion with Arata. He says, you know, we can't do this because all it does is lead us back into the same pattern, right? I give you this, but then you're inevitably going to give land to somebody else. And then you just got this feudalism again, right? Um, so they, they, they have to play out. And in a weird way that even though the individual person living through society and suffering and all that doesn't have any agency, the society has to have agency to develop to that it's perfected communist state. Because if we just came in and zapped them with mind control lasers, they, it's not true communism. Right. The thing I also didn't understand were the greys. Were they a separate race of be like a separate species or are they just a different group? Are they just a different faction? I didn't quite understand. Yeah, that. They're just the brown shirts. They're just the, the, the elevated thugs uh, who are then going to get disposed of after the Holy Order. The blacks come in. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's really it's really literally well, they're the, the king's army. Right. The they're not even army. the king's army because the king's right. army was they were elevated after that because don Rumada and all of them are the king's guard okay. right so the the traditional noble class and so these are all shopkeepers and all the people else so they're literally the brown shirts of fascist you know germany gotcha. and then the blacks are going to be the ss who come in after the sa is freaking purged in you know um you know the night of the long knives and etc so i did think it was funny that shopkeeper was like such an insult in this book, like, you dirty shopkeeper. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, I guess oh, they couldn't use blood. the word, uh, you know, uh, bourgeoisie, but essentially that's what they're saying, right? As opposed to, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, the peasant, true Soviet peasant, peasant and industrial worker rebellion. So. So without running a proper noon universe campaign, if we're just running our normal D&D or RuneQuest or whatever, what are the things that we want to steal from this? What are the little bits and bobs and elements that we liked from this that we think would be fun to take? Either directly or to reskin and reuse. Um, I do think this is a good version of an evil empire right like a different version right like okay you want you don't want orcs you want to see what the you know the grays there you go you know <laughs> right you always talk about jeff how we use humans instead of instead of humanoids and stuff like that the grays right there right and then the black the holy order is one step up they're hobgoblins or gnolls right you know um so right there we have that um yeah i think Oliver. it's very hard to divorce it from the new universe or at least from the higher sci-fi mm -hmm. concepts I'm not sure. I, I think when you remove those, you kind of have, um, what's it called? Zweehander, I suppose, uh, minus the monsters, or just uh, Europe is shitty and dark and evil. Uh, have fun, bite into this. Uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure there's anything to lift, but I could be wrong. Anybody else wants to prove me wrong? I guess when I say that, though, I don't mean like lift the setting from this universe. I just mean like if there was like a cool character or a cool item mm -hmm. or fun idea. Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, I think Palma is great. Don Palma is amazing. Uh, uh, he's <laughs> yes. awesome. I liked uh, when Don Reba and Waga 
the wheel met and they spoke this coded language. It was about a page of this sort of nonsense language. It was right. really fun. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right. And you, I, I forgot that you forgot about mentioning it. And that was also very important too. And of course, Dan, you can talk about this. This is again, the collaboration for fascism between the criminal class, the reactionary religious class, and the sort of political authoritarians, all of those three elements need to work together to get to create this perfect fascist society, right? And so again, that's like a very pointed commentary, right? So, but yeah, the Waga, and when he visits Waga in his den, and he gets pickpocketed, literally, like, and he comes out and he's like missing his two of his knives and his purse. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. And the fact that he gets to watch, like that is uh, the fact that it's always under. I mean, that's why the lady using the the gibberish language because it's it's known. Like, yeah, people always get to sit here and watch the secret meetings. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I imagine taking the players in that and letting them have to figure out what the hell was going on. Yeah. What this was inspiring me to do was um, I, I really like the idea of maybe writing a random um, or like like a random city encounters list that you roll on maybe like once a month that just kind of talks about like what's happening with the factions in the city and who's taking control over the city and who's slaughtered what other group in the city. Um, I, I think something like that would be really interesting or that would be kind of a cool like what has happened in town since you've been off adventuring and then you come back and you roll on this table and it's like, oh, the clerics of this ch of this church have taken over the city and uh, murdered off whoever was currently in control. I think something like that would be fun and interesting. Yeah, yeah. and every time the players come back, they have to learn a whole new bunch of social rules to avoid getting hung. <laughs> <laughs> like everybody, take wow. off your red, you know, bandanas. No, that, that was last month. <laughs> no. I mean, Jeff, I think that's a great idea because it's not just like a painted backdrop for the players, right? It's a living world that way, you know. So, yeah, absolutely. I like the factions um, as far as items and and gizmos and stuff. One, there was one uh, that stuck out because it was a strange word. Kasparamid, uh, if that's a pronunciation, it's a potion that he drinks, or maybe they all drink, all the uh, future uh, people drink because so they can disguise themselves as locals. And, uh, the, uh, and so I kind of think of that like a disguise or a chameleon type potion that you could have probably already in your game if you're playing some role playing game. But I like that word. And then I was really struck by, uh, the use of the helicopters that were, they would just drop down and the locals didn't get what it was at all, but they just, he kind of matter of factly described it as a helicopter. And it really somehow in the story, it brought home to me how bizarre and intimidating and uh, strange it would be for a, a, a person of a lower technology level and uh, that you could somehow uh, bring one of those in maybe a type of Leonardo da Vinci type of flying device or something enable that to, to happen in your uh, own campaign. So I like uh, some kind of a primitive uh, flying, uh, whirling flying machine. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, I like that. He has basically elven chain too. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and like, Oh, he's just really tough. You know, we you know, kicked the, <laughs> the, the, the one guy hits him with the spear and says, that's never happened before. Usually the spear goes right through them. Yeah. I thought that was pretty funny. Right. 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 Well, and that reminded me too of the moment where um, I forget somebody was talking about how the, the particular chain mail they were wearing is great for most melee combat but crossbow bolts go right through them, which then got me thinking about what is it? Armor class versus weapon class tables, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> which of course I do not want to take us back to like, that is a nightmare, <laughs> but, but also if you want lots of realism in your gaming, I mean, that is a pretty realistic thing to be thinking about. All right. It's there in GURPS, Oliver. Yeah. Piercing versus yep. <laughs> piercing. We did it. We got GURPS in another one. <laughs> piercing versus slashing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely yes, yes. and uh, you know to the to the raw role-playing of it all i must admit one thing i really like is the tension where you would form attachments like with kira and then you risk terrifying the npcs that you've grown to love by letting slip a little bit of your true nature uh, as being one of the observers uh, I, I think that's a very cool thing you don't run into a lot uh, beyond the obvious like you don't want to be detected by the people who are essentially your enemies but also perhaps damage your relationships with your loved ones and friends that you've formed in the right. society i don't think that comes up very much in most role playing right and that's actually almost one of the saddest 
sections of the whole book when he's talking about these walls coming down that he's literally creating in, in the course of that conversation with Kira, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, of falsehood and whatever and false hope and all that. And that's, that's, um, tremendous. And, and again, for people who've grown up in a really paranoid society, it, it's, it's tough because even in amongst the ones you love, you sometimes have to be deceptive because in the, in possibly in a misguided attempt to protect them. Um, and that, that comes up. So uh, again, I think there, this is pretty deep in a lot of ways, but again, uh, if someone said, I, I never want to read this book, I'd be like, yeah, I, I get it. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and definitely don't see the movie if you don't. <laughs> no. So there was a video game too. Yeah. yeah. What? So it was a computer yeah. game, <laughs> yeah. which was at the bottom of the Wikipedia page. Yeah. It was 2007. What? It's on steam. Um, it's called <laughs> hard to be a God. You want to look it up? I don't know. Like you're as like, how do we port this into a game? Well, there is a game, and it, it reads that like Rumata's gone, and you're investigating his disappearance. Is I think kind of the premise. And are we just walking so, around knocking people out with our swords? There's some like super like sci-fi elements in some of these screenshots too. Yeah, and some hiccup forest action. It looks like Dan. So, you know. <laughs> Which does seem like you really could just pick up Hiccup Forest and put that into any fantasy RPG. I think that's something that'd be pretty easy to steal. Right, the right, name right. of it and why it's called that and all the things that are rumored to be roaming around it from like, because they talked about like enchanters walking around picking mushrooms. And I'm just like, this, this sounds amazing. This sounds right, like right. the Dolmenwood or like some right, right. Really cool forest setting. Right. And I think it also is great because you don't have to name things like super like oh the the ebon wood right let's just name it like things that ridiculous things that people actually have named stuff <laughs> you know the hiccup forest right why not <laughs> right oh yeah there's a screenshot here with like a huge ogre with a club so okay that's different <laughs> yeah huh. wow all right sorry now i'm just looking at a steam page Podcast right. it looks it looks a lot cleaner than the movie i'm just gonna say that part so <laughs> yeah anyway <laughs> Has anybody else here read anything else in the new un- noon universe? No, not yet. Yeah, a whole lot of head shaking. No. Yeah, I don't think Rizzo uh, Picnic falls into it at all. No, no. Uh, yeah. Has anything else been translated uh, apart yeah. from Red Tide Picnic? It looks like they have been, but I don't know if any of the translations are current, like what we would consider uh, state of the art in terms of. Uh, uh, it looks like uh, certainly in the 22nd century, it looks like it was published. Um, I'm just looking at the column here. Uh, yeah, it, Monday begins Monday on Saturday, century, but that's not yeah. That yeah. was published. It looks like that was Space Apprentice. Yep. So it looks like that's a fair amount. I don't know how much of it is currently in print or, as we said, in, in decent translation. That's a, that's a good question. Yeah. And Space yeah. Apprentice is from 62. It was translated in 81. Uh, Dead Mountaineers Hotel is good. I've got that on my shelf, but not uh, not noon. Yeah. Mushroom mystery, basically. Hmm. Well, I guess we can go ahead and start doing our closing comments. So if you want to share with us kind of what you think overall, or if there's some kind of last thing you wanted to say about the book that you didn't get a chance to. And Adam, let's start with you. Well, I, one thing I wanted to hit on was like uh, Don Ramada. Anton is like, he has a hard time because he's been pretending to be this like arrogant, noble jackass guy. And it's like at a certain point, at a certain level, he's like confused about who he is because he's been like undercover so long mm. and he's been acting like this jerk the whole time. And it's just like, it's kind of like, um, you mentioned Kirk Vonnegut and Mother yes. Knight where it's like be careful who you pretend to be because then that's who you become you know so i thought that was a real interesting part of his character you know was that he it's it's like is he still you know anton or is he don armada now you know Damn. Right, and that's that's the question that petrushka and them have at the end right almost when they see the strawberry juice on his hands <laughs> is he the- right yeah 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 Dan, final thoughts? Uh, just a, a strong recommendation for The Death of Stalin, um, the yes. fantastic movie. And okay. uh, and, and uh, to, to watch out for Simon Russell Beale, who, who plays Don Raber, as in Laurenti Beria. 
<laughs> yeah, go back to Georgia, Dead Boy. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> that movie is fantastic. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, Robert, final thoughts. Uh, I like this book because I felt like I knew Anton Don Ramada, even though I was struggling when I was reviewing it before the show. Uh, like, what did he look like? I don't know. I don't know what he really looked like. I don't know what he looked like in the uh, Ar- Arcada. Uh, I don't know. But I do feel like I got to know him and like him as a person. I think that's good writing, even though I only saw what he did and said. Uh, that's very similar to, for instance, uh, the worm Ouroboros, which is great in a different way, but I do not feel like I got to know those characters and their thoughts. And I did get to know this guy. So thumbs up on that. Mm-hmm. Oliver. Yeah, basically I would just say, I, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the film. Although for God's sake, read the book first, cause it does not hold your hand narratively. And I would say to anyone who heard this and thought, Oh, this sounds really dark and terrible. Yes, absolutely. There's some darkness to it, but like I say, there's that Dumas element that I really like. I think there's a lot of positivity. Plus like the main character, you get to leave the world at the end. So, Hey, uh, <laughs> the world of dark and grit. Um, I would just say one other thing quick, very quickly, which, uh, this, I don't know. I was hoping one of us would have this edition, but there is a DAW cover from, I want to say the sixties that kept a friend of mine from wanting to read this for years because he thought it looked really stupid and thoughtless. And it's just a hand with like a jeweled uh, wrist bracelet, whatever, holding a naked woman. Hard to be a god. Uh, and it's just like, that does not convey this book at all. So anybody who saw that cover and had the same reaction as my buddy, uh, please check it out. <laughs> <laughs> Tom. Okay, so just a, one little world-building detail that I'm definitely going to carry forth in some kind of conversation is the what I perceive to be an insult uh, happens twice where it's said that a man gave birth to a six-fingered boy from his hip. I, I really want to know what that's supposed to mean. It, it, if there's a deeper context to that or cultural context, it's lost on me, but I found that to be pretty interesting little piece of world-building in there. And would recommend. Cool. And um, I guess my final thoughts, um, it's it's funny, the thing that um, um, when Adam was talking about the the, the identity of, Adam, were you the one talking about? Yeah, Don Ramada. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It made me think about how when, um, when I was 19, um, my friend Mike gave me his expired ID so that I could go drinking. And I had dyed black hair at the time, but he had the, but they were, they were just kind of a shaggy cut, but he had these like long black dreads. So, and we were both tall, skinny white boys. And um, so the ID just looked like I had cut my dreads off. Cause like I hear him showing you a picture with me with this long, the tall, skinny white guy with long black dreads. But like I used it for so long that it started to feel like my ID. And then <laughs> six months before my 21st birthday, when a bouncer took it from me because my eyes aren't hazel and Mike's were, um, I was really indignant because I was like, that's my ID. Give it back. And he's like, if you'd like, I can call the police and you can get it back from them. Uh, <laughs> so I, I then left away dejected. But it did make me think about how like if you when you adopt an identity for long enough, it does start to feel like your own. Um, but also I wanted to comment on something Robert said early on where he was worried that maybe he um, isn't understanding the text as well as some other people. Robert, I also want to let you know that when I finished this book up, I then had to go back and read the Wikipedia plot summary just so that I could kind of put all the pieces together because I walked away from this not really having had these ideas, having really fully gelled together yet either. And I did, I did, I, I also needed a little bit of handholding in that process. Mm. Um, mm. But Hoy, what are your final thoughts and what are the books that are going to be up for vote? Cool. Um, I, uh, to, to your point and Robert's point, I agree. Um, but it's not the prose that's fighting you because the prose for people who are like worried about this book, it's not the prose. The prose is very clear and straightforward. It's because of the level of elusiveness and subtlety in relation to real life political um, matters that, 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 that makes it difficult. So I would not be scared away from the book. Uh, it's not long. It's not difficult to read. It, there is more humor than we're making it than it's made out to be. Certainly there's no humor at all in the movie. Um, so I don't think it is. Um, uh, it is not a challenge to read. It's a challenge potentially to understanding, but not a challenge to read is my, it's my take on it. Um, so I think it's worth it. 
as long as you go into it knowing that it's not a feel good book. Um, so there you go. Uh, okay. So my theme, uh, is actually going to be slightly misnomer, but because I like the way it sounds, it's YA, why not? Uh, but these actually are probably more appropriately would be mid grade books. Um, so, uh, we'll do Lloyd Alexander's The Book of Three. Uh, we're going to do Susan Cooper, but not A Darkest Rising. We're going to do uh, Seaward by Susan Cooper. Um, and let's say uh, uh, Alan Gardner's, Garner's The Weird Stone of Brisingamen and Patricia Reedy's Dealing with Dragons. Reedy is W-R-E-D-E. Perfect. All right, everybody. So that is our patron book club for this for this week. Thank you all for joining us. And I will see y'all next time around. All right. So great to see all of you again. Yeah. Thank you. Great to see you. Bye. Thanks. Thanks. See you next time.